Good morning, family. It's great to have you all here worshiping with us this morning as we continue uh, through a series through the book of Galatians. Thank you, worship team, music team. You guys did a great job. As always, thank you. We're, we're so appreciative of the efforts you guys put in to help lead us in worship. Uh, as I said, we're going through a book of Galatians, and so there's another plug always out in the lobby. We have these little scriptural journals that if you're a note taker, these are a great way to have the, the text of scripture right with your notes. And so you can make use of those. If you, there's like nine left out there, you can grab those. Um, you know, we're, uh, we ask for $5 to cover the cost from them. If you don't have $5, I really don't care. You can take one if you're going to use it. So that's all good. So as I said, we're going through the book of Galatians. We've, this is our fourth week now as we continue to go through there. Um, and so we are going to be in Galatians chapter 3, if you want to go there before. But don't worry, when we get to there, it will be on the text, on the screen, I mean. Uh, but before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Therefore, I thank you so much for this time that we can come as your people to worship you, to praise you, to have fellowship together to sit under your word and learn about who you are and how you have saved us and what that means and how we should live our life as a result of that. Lord, we just pray for this time as we open up your book, as we open up your word, that you show us what we need to see, that you teach us what we need to be taught, that you grow us in the ways we need to grow so that we can be your people in all realms of our life, that we can be yours and follow you as you call us to follow you. Lord, we love you and seek you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was, uh, I, I lived in Colorado for about seven years when I was going to undergrad and then seminary. And so as you do in Colorado, you have to be outside all the time and doing adventurous things. And so we would, we would hike a lot of what they call the 14ers. These are the, these so many uh, mountains in Colorado that are above 14,000 feet, the peaks are. And so I remember one time, a group of my friends, we were hiking one, and, and there comes this uh, little, uh, uh, on the path, it's a well-trodden path, a lot of people hike it. All of a sudden, there's this little side path that goes off to the side, and my friends stop and say, hey, we should do this one. And basically, what it is, is there's two paths up to the same summit. One is the well-trodden, really easy path everyone takes, and the other one, not so much. It actually follows this ridge line up, and when you get to the top, you're, you're really walking along a ridge line with drops of thousands of feet on either side of you, and you kind of scramble over these rocks to the summit. And they both lead to the same place. And so me being the idiot I am and liking fun, I said, yeah, let's do that one. And so we went that one, and we basically got up to the peak at the same time our friends who took the easy route did. And we got there at the same time. Both of these trails led to the same place, but one which just happened to be a little rougher. Well, a lot of times I think we think of life like that. There's many different paths, there's many different trails, but they all kind of lead to the same place, don't they? We know people who have the same maybe career, but how they entered that career and the path they took to get to that career is very different. And so we see, well, then many paths lead to the same location. And what was interesting is that I think a lot of people start thinking about life and even God in the same way. They think, well, if that's true of life, that there's many different ways to the same location, is, then isn't that true with God? And so you got people putting forth this idea that then that means there's many roads to the same God. There's many ways in which we can interact with God. And, and we have these sayings that we even 
speak and use in our common uses that kind of put forth this idea that you can do many different things and get the same result. Like there's many different ways to skin a cat and stuff like that. But is that true? It might be true for life because we see that, but is that true when it comes to matters of God? Are there many ways to get to the same God? Well, if we read our Bible, it seems very clear, no. And Paul is actually pretty adamantly, no. He actually is saying, yeah, there are many different ways in life, and there's many different ways in which we can go, and there's all these various these, uh, paths we can take, but their destinations are not the same. The destinations could not be further from the, the same. And that there's only one true way to our God, and that is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's really adamant about that, and he's really black and white about it. Where people want to put layers of gray in our world, he says, no, there's one true way to Christ, and that is the gospel. And I think that's what we see at the beginning of Galatians chapter 3 when he's talking about you can either follow Christ or you follow something different. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 3. If you don't, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen behind us, and we're going to read the first 14 verses here. Paul is continuing his argument about how we are justified in Christ alone. He says, Oh, foolish Gentiles. I mean, Galatians. They are Gentiles, but, Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed among, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous still live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it was written, Curses as everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. As I'm looking at that section in Galatians chapter 3, I'll just sum it up with that simple saying, the gospel is the true and only way. This has really been Paul's argument through the whole book of Galatians so far, that the gospel is the only true way to God, that no other way we we can think of, no other way we can kind of fathom gets us to God. It's only the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of who Jesus is, that the Son of God, being God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but lowered himself, taking the form of a servant. He came down as one of us. He took on flesh as one of us. He lived our life, and he did it perfectly. No sin was in him, so that when he died for us, he was a perfect sacrifice, so that he took our sin 
upon him and gave us his right standing before our holy God. That is the good news. And when he rose from the grave, we are given that new life that he's showing us that we have. That is the good news as we have faith in Jesus Christ. And that, Paul would say, is the only true way to be right with our holy God. People want to think of other schemes, or maybe if we try harder, if we work harder, if we follow these laws or these rules, or we just are good enough, we can somehow earn a place before God. And Paul says, no, we all fell. We all can't live up to his standard, which is perfection. And so the only way to our righteous God is through Jesus Christ. The gospel is a true and only way. It's funny that when we read this section, we, I would actually even break it into these parts where Paul is really offering these either-ors to us again and again. We can either follow this or we'll follow something else. And he starts right at the heart of it as he's flabbergasted that they would desert the gospel. He's confused by that they would be led astray. I love his honesty here when you read in uh, Galatians chapter 3 because he's writing to them and he's hearing how they're probably be, they're being led astray by false teachers and he's saying, you're so foolish, what are you doing? I presented the gospel for you, you believed it and you're walking it, but now I hear that you're going astray and I cannot help being a parent, relating it to as a parent who gives strict instructions to their kids to do something and then you show back up, and it's like they didn't hear what you said. Or they thought it meant something different. They thought, hey, clean your room, or clean the TV room meant watch TV and sit there. And Paul is flabbergasted at this. He's like, what are you doing, you foolish people? Why are you being led astray? Why are you thinking other things would lead you to God. I love it. He says, I presented you publicly Christ crucified. Meaning, in his teaching, he did not hide it. He spoke in front of everyone. This is who you follow. This is what you look to. Christ in him crucified. And that is our hope. And yet, they're fools. Because they start looking towards something else. In our language nowadays, we you know, fools is not that hard. You probably call people fools a lot, you know, while you're driving or whenever, or just people you just don't agree with. They're fools. They don't have an understanding. But when you look at the Bible and the biblical uses of fools, it's actually a little bit more harsher because the Bible says again and again, the fool is a person who does not know God. And so what Paul is basically saying, you guys have lost sight of Christ, therefore you have lost sight of who God is, therefore you are a fool. You have no true understanding of this world in which God operates because you've lost sight of Christ who brings you before our holy God. But they are being led astray, he says, by these false teachers who are bringing other ideas about how you can come to know who God is by works, following the law, being good enough. And he says, how foolish are you to go that route rather than knowing who God is? John Stott, a Bible commentator and, and a pastor, says this, If the Galatians had grasped the gospel of Christ crucified, that Christ did everything necessary to, uh, receive, uh, to receive salvation for 
uh, us on the cross, they would have realized that the only thing required of them was receive the good news by faith. That they somehow are confused and being led astray with these false teachings. But it's interesting how Paul puts it. He says, who has bewitched you? And we know, if we've read it before in Galatians, if we've been reading in Galatians, we see he's talking about these Judaizers, these people who are coming and leading people astray. But now he says, who has bewitched you? And he's using the singular who. He's not, he knows who has bewitched him. He knows it's these false teachers who are coming and leading him astray. But now he says, who has bewitched you? And I really think there's a strong indication. He says, there's someone, a singular force, that's standing behind these false teachers that is actually bewitching you, putting a spell on you to lead you astray. He's making the point that when we're listening to these false teachers, when they are listening to people who do not know the gospel, they're really listening to who stands behind them, which is the enemy, Satan, the devil, who's leading people astray. He's trying to lead people from the truth of the gospel. And here's the first either or that Paul is putting before his people. You can either look to Christ and him publicly portrayed as crucified as your hope, or are you going to be looking towards these false teachers who behind them stands the deceiver, the accuser, the one who's going to lead us away from who God is? That we look to Christ, or we look to these falsehoods that lead us astray and have their basis in the enemy. We have to choose which one we look to make a choice that is going to determine our whole life. The good thing about that choice is that we can do it with open eyes as Paul publicly shows us who Christ is. As we hear publicly through the word and the proclamation of who Christ is, we can do it with open eyes. We can make that choice with knowledge of where it leads. But where it leads is important because our life is determined on it. I've used this illustration before, but I had a friend when I was in college, and he, he climbed Mount Everest, and he had raised a lot of money, and he, and he pursued that goal, and he achieved it. And uh, he said the, the, some of the weirdest things on Mount Everest is that when you're climbing, there you'll come to all these ropes that are hanging from these, uh, in, um, on these ice climbs that they have to make these, these climbs up, and you basically choose a rope, and you hook into that rope, and that's the rope that's going to save you, hopefully, if you fall on this small little ice climb on the way up to Mount Everest. And these ropes are left over from all these people who've climbed before, and you don't know how that rope is anchored into whatever until you get to the top. And he says sometimes you'd be climbing up to the top, and, and you make the small little climb, and you get up there, and this rope is actually just frozen to the ice. That if he had fallen, it would not have done anything. But yet every time they got to a situation like that, they were just told by their guides and the other climbers, you just choose a rope and you journey on because you did not know what it's anchored on. And we, in the same way, when we look at our life, we make a choice. Who are we going to anchor our life in? But we're fortunate because we know and can see the destination and see what each choice is anchored in, as Paul says. You can either choose to look at Christ who is crucified for you, who takes your sin upon you, who saves you from yourself and the enemy, or you can look upon these false teachers who are being led by the enemy who put their trust in their own strength. And so we can make that choice. And Paul says you should look and know where you are choosing. But he continues in the, with his arguments, not just looking towards Christ or these false teachers 
who lead you astray was either working in the spirit or you're going to work in the flesh. He talks about that. He says, hey, it's Christ who gives you or supplies the spirit. These false teachers are coming in and saying, work in the flesh. And that these are two fundamental ways in which we operate in this world. And actually, I would argue this is the fundamental question for each and every one of us right now. How do we believe the Christian life is ordered? How do we believe we should work the Christian life out? Do we work it by the spare power of the Spirit that dwells in us? Or do we work it out by the flesh? Because that's what Paul is saying. He's bringing these two things and comparing them. He says, you choose either this one or that one. That Christ comes and he gives you the Spirit. And the Spirit dwells in you and he powers you to follow and work and live out this Christian life with fear and trembling that actually lets you actually appreciate and love and follow Christ. That's what the Spirit does with us as it applies to salvation. Or are we working as these false teachers would argue we should work, which is with the flesh, out of our own power, out of our own understanding, with our own rules, thinking we're somehow earning for ourselves something free before God. But that's a fundamental question for all of us because I believe all of us are tempted to lean more towards working in the flesh because we understand it. Because we understand we can grasp it a little bit more. I do and I get. I achieve and people and I get rewarded. That's how we live. And so we're tempted to walk this way and say, well, then I should work in my own power. I should strive harder. I should, I should do more. I should be good enough. I should, should change myself. But that's just putting ourselves on a treadmill that we will never get off, that beats us down, wears us out, and makes us miserable because we can never achieve enough. And rather, Paul says, no, it's by the Spirit that you live. That the Spirit comes upon you, applies the salvation of Christ, gives you a new heart that now beats for Christ, gives you a new life that you live out for Christ. And so now you have this new being inside of you, new nature inside of you that now you're living out decision by decision as you choose to follow Christ and you'll start to naturally follow him. It's a natural outflow of who we are in Christ and we'll start doing those good things we're supposed to be doing and by faltering like a small little um, um, you know, child trying to take its first steps, we'll start to follow Christ because the Spirit dwells inside of us. And what makes that so tricky is that they look so similar because we'll be doing the same things. We'll be doing those good things we're called to do. We'll be reading our Bibles, praying, serving others, loving people, proclaiming the gospel, but where are we working from? Are we doing those good things out of the outflow of how we've been changed with Christ, out of gratitude about how he saved us? Are we doing those things thinking somehow we're storing up for ourselves something that we can prove to God that we've done it. And Christ says, look towards the Spirit, for Christ supplies this to us, that we can walk in this newness of life. Stop trying to earn and achieve, for that is not the way, but rather rest in Christ and the life he gives you and will naturally start developing into the life that God has called us to live. This is a message of freedom. 
a message that should be a bomb towards our soul. It's the same message that Jesus himself was preaching to people. In Matthew 11, uh, chapter, uh, verses 28 through 30, he says, Come to me, all who are labor and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me. Put down all those requirements that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were heaping upon you to earn. Put them down and rest in me for I achieve it for you. And now then, when you're free, you can take those unburdened steps to live for me in all of your life. Are we living by the Spirit or are we living by the flesh? The gospel calls us to live this life by the Spirit of God. The gospel is the true and only way. But Paul's not done. He actually presides another either or. Are we seeking to live our life by faith? Or are we seeking to live it by the law? And again, he, he presides this example. He says, when we seek to live it by a law, we have to follow the whole law. And if we don't follow the whole law, we're under curse. And if we seek to live it by faith, then we actually become who Abraham was. We become his children of the faith. And he presents this great example of Abraham to these people who are being told to follow these Jewish laws. He says, yeah, but look at who Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, the father, what, how was he made righteous before God? It says he believed in God, and so was counted as righteousness. It was by faith he lived. It was by faith in God, not because he was good enough. He was nothing when God called him out of a pagan country to be his person. And if you read Genesis, he continued to mess up. He continued to stumble. He continued to lie and deceive, and he was not that great of a person. But yet God called him, and he had faith, and therefore he's counted to him as righteousness. And this is a big deal because he's talking to people who, who are being influenced by, by Jewish Christians thinking, oh, wait a minute, to become Abraham's kids, to become in that family, we have to follow the law. He says, no, if you have faith in God through Jesus Christ, you are part of the family. You are in. You are Abraham's children if you have faith in Christ. What a reassurance, what a balm to their souls that would be that they are engrafted into God's family by the simple aspect of faith, believing in God, believing in who Christ is. I think that speaks to a, a, a assurance that we should have as Christians because this is true for us, that if you have faith, if you believe in the truth of who Christ is and how he saved us, if you have that faith, you are a son of Abraham, a child of faith, engrafted into the people of God. And if you believe, that is true for you. And so we struggle. I think a lot of people might struggle with assurance. They might struggle with realizing, really thinking this is true or feeling this is true. And I came across this story about uh, John Bunyan. If you guys don't know who John Bunyan was, he was an English uh, um, Puritan that lived 
in, in I, what is that, 1600s, and he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, which a lot of people have heard about. It's this great allegory poem about the Christian life. He was imprisoned for his faith, and, uh, and he, but he himself, this, this person that we might know through his writings about the Christian life, he struggled with assurance. He struggled realizing, am I truly saved just by faith? It seems too good to be true. And so he was struggling to find peace and assurance, and he wrestled with his salvation, but he couldn't find it. Then one day it hit him that it is based in Christ and Christ alone, having faith in him. And it says this, he wrote this, One day as I was passing into the field, the sins fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. And I thought, withal, I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There I say it was my righteousness, so that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, he lacks my righteousness. For that was just before him. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Christ, Jesus Christ himself. Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loose from my afflictions and irons. My temptations also fled away. Now went I also home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. And I love how he writes it that it's not his frame, his how he thought about himself or how he's living that made his righteousness better or worse because his righteousness was in Christ who was in heaven and so it was secure for him. And when he realized his righteousness was secure in Christ, how does he put it? His chains fell off. He no longer lived in slavery towards having to do or thinking he was not somehow living up. He no longer had these temptations even said they fled from him to doubt whether Christ had truly saved him. And Paul says, if we live by faith, this is what we receive. That we can actually walk by faith and have that assurance that Christ has saved us. If we live by law, we have not that assurance for what how do we achieve? How do we earn? Where does it rest on? Our own doing, our own achieving, and that we know does not live up to Christ's standard. The gospel is the true and only way. And the destinations of these two ways that Paul presents are either blessing or curse. You, can't even tr- you can follow this train of thought that he puts forth Christ. He says, Christ and him, uh, portrayed as publicly crucified, leads to the Spirit which he supplies, which means we walk by faith in him, which means then we receive this blessing that God gives us, this blessing that he gave to Abraham is now true for us, that we are God's people. You can choose that route, or you can choose the other route. And what is that? That you look to these false teachers who have their teaching based in Satan, who, give, who teach you to live by the flesh and the power of your own being, who follow the law, and what is the reward? It's the curse of the law, because they cannot live up to it. Just choose for yourself what you're going to follow. Are you going to follow this route that, that bases itself in Christ and what he has done for us, that lives by the Spirit and faith, and we receive the blessing? Or do you choose to live by your own power and the destination is the curse of the law that we fail to live up? Said like that, I think it should be an easy choice for us. Put before us, what do we choose? 
We obviously, I urge you to look again upon the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and see the truth that we live by knowing who Christ is, who gives us his spirit, and so that we can live by faith. And when we do, we receive the blessing of God. But notice how Paul talks and he says, this is all because of Jesus. We can't really move on out of that part when he's speaking about this curse that we receive if we try to live by the law, but this blessing we get if we live by faith. And why says in verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For as written, curses is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Get that. The only reason we have this, realm, this, 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 this road before us that we can look to Christ and live by the Spirit and by faith and, in, and get the blessing is because Christ came and became the curse for us. That Christ came and He took that other road for us. That Christ came and He took the curse that He did not deserve, that was not to His end, upon Himself for us. That he hung upon that tree, the cross, taking the curse of God upon himself so that now we could have blessings of God. And because Christ was a curse for us, we who are in Christ, who have faith in Christ, only receive blessing from God. There is no more curse from God left for us, for it was poured out on Christ. All that is left for us in God is blessing, for that is what he gives us as children of of him who have their faith in Christ. That is a monumental thing to realize. That is who we are if we believe in Christ. That the road has been saved for us. That we look upon Christ and the Spirit indwells in us. We look upon Christ and we know we live by faith. We look upon Christ and we know that we now have the blessing of God. And we are His because He took the curse for us. We stand on the solid ground of Christ and the salvation He has achieved for us. And Paul says, believe that. Live that. Walk your life in that truth. If that is true, now we understand why he is flabbergasted when he looks upon the, the Galatians and they're trying to do something else. And he says, you fools! Christ died for you to give you the Spirit so that you live by faith and, 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 and are rewarded with the blessings. And yet you want to go some other way. You fools. You've lost sight of God because you've lost sight of what Christ has achieved for you. The gospel is the true and only way. So we ask, do you believe that? Do you believe that truth of who Christ is? Do you believe that He has saved you? Do you believe that He has taken the curse upon Himself? Do you believe that in Him, through faith, we are given all the blessings of God? Do you believe that? If that is so, receive it and now walk in newness of life for Him. And live for Him in all that you do. And we are called to receive this promise, this great promise. What does that mean? That means... We, all, we, we first, I think, we can break this down and we need to know who or what we are following. 
That we need to know whether we're following the ways of Christ or we're following the ways of something else that's leading us away from Christ. That means we need to be aware, that we need to be aware that these people who knew Christ could be bewitched. They could be led astray. If they could be led astray, we could be led astray. Teachings can come in into your mind just from whatever we watch or whatever we consume on a daily basis or whatever we listen to, and they can start leading us away to, to walk away from the sure route and security of Christ and put our faith in something else. So we need to watch out for what, who, who we're listening to and what we're following. And then we, know, you know, we need to know and trust and believe the gospel the good news of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us so that we can now walk with surety and give our whole life without that freedom to live for him. The trouble is that we all, all of us, tend to drift. That if we're not diligent, if we're not intentional and in looking towards Christ, we tend to drift away. We tend to drift towards our own efforts or we tend to drift towards something we've heard or we listen to the latest the latest thing that we've heard on social media or TikTok or whatever we're consuming, and we start to drift and be stared away, but we need to continually come back to the gospel, the word of God to remind us again and again who we are in Christ and what Christ has done. That as we drift, we need to continue to look afresh upon Christ and know who he is and trust him and then walk in that newness of life he's given us. The gospel is a true and only way. I, want to leave, I also want to finish with a, a prayer. This comes from the Valley of Vision. This is a small little prayer book um, compiled from uh, some people who are serious about the faith, and this one is called The Gospel Way. And just listen to this prayer, and let us, this be our prayer as we think about how Christ has saved us. Blessed Lord Jesus, no human mind could conceive or invent the gospel. Acting in eternal grace, you are both its messenger and its message, lived out on earth through infinite compassion, and applying your life to insult, injury, death, that I might be redeemed, ransomed, freed. Blessed are you, O Father, for contriving this way. Eternal thanks to thee, O Lamb of God, for opening this way. Praise everlasting to you, O Heavenly Spirit, for applying this way to my heart. Glorious Trinity, impress the gospel on my soul until its virtue diffuses every faculty. Let it be heard, acknowledged, professed, felt. Teach me to secure this mighty blessing. Help me to give up every darling lust, to submit heart and life to his command, to have it in my will, controlling my affections, modeling my understanding, to adhere strictly to the rules of true religion, not departing from them in any instance for, I ha for, if, for any advantage in order to escape evil, inconvenience, or danger. Take me to the cross to seek glory in its infamy. Strip me of every pleasing pre pretense of righteousness of my own doings. O oh, gracious Redeemer, I have neglected you too long, often crucified you, crucified you afresh by my remorselessness, put you to open shame. I thank you for the patience that has borne with me so long and for the grace that now makes me willing to be yours. O oh, unite me to yourself with inseparable bonds that nothing may ever draw me back from you, my Lord, my Savior. Let's pray that 
the gospel way in which we live this life that he's given us every day of our life. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, great are you who set up this way in which we can be saved through your Son. Great are you, Lord, who has given us the Spirit to let us live in righteousness. Great are you, Lord, that opens up this way through our faith, using it as the instrument in which you apply the truth of Christ. Great are you, Lord, who saves us through your Son. Lord, I pray for all of us here, all of us who call upon your name, that we can know this truth. Rest in you. Rest in the salvation that is achieved for us by your Son, Jesus Christ. That we can live out a newness of life for your glory. That we can respond to this gospel with all we have every day of our life so that we can be yours and truly know the blessings that you have poured out on us again and again. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This last song. Um, and let's just uh, rejoice.